Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Uh, Sometimes uh, God has something better planned for us that we could never even imagine, but we need to wait uh, until God says it's time. And that was true for Elijah. Elijah experienced a waiting time to prepare him for a greater mission. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Perhaps you feel like life is on pause and you're waiting for someone to press that play button once again. Those times of waiting, they can be frustrating, but they can also be immensely fruitful. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress shows how God used the time of waiting in Elijah's life for good. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory as we continue our teaching series called Choosing the Extraordinary Life. It's based on the study of one of the greatest prophets of all time, Elijah. Now, to help you dig deeper into this topic, I've written a best-selling book for you. The subtitle of my book, Choosing the Extraordinary Life, is God's Seven Secrets for Success and Significance. If you happen to have a copy of my book already, make sure to request one for a friend or family member. Many are choosing to use this book in their small group Bible study or Sunday school class. And my book is perfect for that because it comes with a life application guide with questions to get conversations started. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'll make sure these resources are sent to your home. In just a little over two months, we'll be departing the USA, bound for the land where Elijah's story unfolded. And I'm hoping you'll join me in this life-changing tour of Israel. The dates for the Pathway to Victory Tour of Israel are April 25th through May 5th. Along the way, I'm going to show you some of the sites where Elijah performed his amazing miracles, including the spot where he called down fire from heaven. We'll also visit the key locations where Bible prophecy was fulfilled and where prophecy has yet to be fulfilled. So, while there's still space available, go to ptv.org, look at the itinerary, and most importantly, reserve your spot today. Now, let's return to our study we're looking at the third secret for success and significance in life. Today, we'll talk about why waiting time isn't wasted time. In our series, Choosing the Extraordinary Life, we're examining the life of the Old Testament prophet Elijah to discover God's seven secrets for experiencing a significant and a successful life. You know, the Bible says about Elijah, he wasn't some spiritual superman. James 5 says he was an ordinary man like you and I. And yet, God used him in an extraordinary way because of the seven secrets, really the seven choices that he made in his life. Uh, Remember what secret number one is, discover your unique purpose in life. And uh, to be extraordinary, you have to discover what that unique purpose God has for your life is. Secondly, extraordinary people determined to influence their culture. They realize God has placed us in this world at this time not to become like the world, not to identify with the world, but to influence the world. And then third, we began looking at that third secret last time, 
extraordinary people learn to wait on God's timing. God, at some point in your life, will have you in a waiting time. And last time we looked at the benefits of waiting on God. First of all, waiting reminds us of our need for God. Sometimes after we've experienced a great failure in life or even a great success, we need to be reminded of our need for God. Waiting does that. Secondly, waiting allows us to recharge our physical, emotional, and spiritual batteries. Sometimes we need to renew ourselves uh, in life, and waiting gives us an opportunity to do that. And third, we saw waiting prepares us for an even greater mission. Uh, Sometimes uh, God has something better planned for us that we could never even imagine, but we need to wait uh, until God says it's time. And that was true for Elijah. Elijah experienced a waiting time to prepare him for a greater mission. Look at 1 Kings 17.1. Notice how Elijah just appears out of nowhere on the scene at a significant time in Israel's history. Now, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to King Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Nobody knew who Elijah was and suddenly he is at the palace in Samaria pronouncing this judgment against Ahab and the nation of Israel. I'm sure immediately his pronouncements was breaking news on cable news. The Samaritan newspaper the next day had it on the headlines, unknown prophet challenges the king. And then what did God say? Amazingly, look at verse two. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, go away from here and turn eastward and hide. Literally remove yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. Immediately after bursting on the public scene, God says, now you need to go hide yourself for a while. Go hide yourself. And the first place he was going to hide himself, that place of waiting would be a brook called Kareth. Kareth became the place of testing for Elijah. The place of testing. God will have you at some point in your life in your own Kareth. Your own experience, your own waiting time of testing. What is it that God does in our testing time? First of all, our careth, wherever that is, whenever that is, teaches us to walk with God daily. Every extraordinary person has to learn how to depend upon the Lord daily. That was true for Elijah. When God said to Elijah, now verse 3, go hide yourself by the brook careth, he didn't tell him how long he was going to be there. He didn't tell him that, in fact, there was going to be another waiting place called Zarephath that would last six times as long. He didn't tell him about he would be challenging those sword-wielding prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. He just told him what he needed to do next. Extraordinary people learn how to wait on God and to walk with God daily. Secondly, our careth teaches us to obey God completely. To obey him completely. Now, had I been Elijah, and I had just been in the palace, and God said, now that you've been in the palace, you need to go out here in the wilderness and hide by the brook. I said, God, don't you understand the principle of momentum? 
I mean, things are moving in our direction now. You just had me give this message to the king. Surely, isn't it time now for me to go on a speaking tour, you know, to keep the momentum going? Or to write a book about my experience with King Ahab? Wouldn't that help people follow uh, you more closely? We need to build on this momentum. God said, no, no, that's not my plan. You've done what I've called you to do now. Now you go hide by the brook Kareth. And notice what happened in verse five. So Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. He obeyed God completely. And will you notice he obeyed God immediately? No arguing with God about it. God spoke, Elijah hid. That's an invaluable lesson to learn to obey God immediately. My friend, the late Howard Hendricks, writing about this passage, says, the Lord and I have a running argument. I constantly attempt to impress him with how much I know. He constantly seeks to impress me with how little I have obeyed. You know, if a spiritual giant like Howard Hendricks struggles with obeying God immediately, no wonder we struggle with that from time to time, don't we? But those who want to be used by God in an extraordinary way learn how to obey God completely and yes, immediately. And finally, our careth, our waiting place, teaches us to trust God absolutely. To trust God absolutely. Notice what he said. God said to Elijah, verse 4, it shall be that you shall drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. That is, Elijah, you're going to have to depend upon me daily for your water and for your food. I'm going to send the ravens, and they're going to bring you bread and meat every day. And so every day, Elijah had to experience, he had to exercise the truth of King Solomon, who had written years earlier in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. A friend of mine here at our church, colleague of mine, told me about his own Kareth experience. It, it lasted for him and his family for about two years. He was laid off from his job. But then one day, he said, the bottom fell out. Literally, the bottom fell out of their hot water heater. And suddenly, they found they had no resources to fix that hot water heater or to get a plumber in to replace it. And he said, out of nowhere, God sent a raven, an unexpected person into their life who provided the funds they needed just for that emergency. That's what God does. Some of you are in a careth. You're in a waiting place right now. Now, let me give you a word of warning about it. Don't be surprised if things get worse before they get better during that time of waiting. That's exactly what happened to Elijah. Okay, here he was barely eking out day by day, living by faith, when what happens in verse 7? And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Suddenly, the one provision God had made for him for water, the brook, suddenly dries up. 
No source of water whatsoever. Some of you are in that very same situation. You've been in that waiting place, trying to learn the lessons God wants to teach you, and your work has dried up. Your financial resources have dried up. Perhaps your prospects for a job have dried up. Perhaps you're in a relationship that has dried up. And you're wondering, what do I do next? You know, the first reaction is we want to pack up our bags and get out of our carrot as quickly as possible. Our first thought is, God, if you can't do any better job than this of taking care of me, I guess I'm on my own. I'm going to do the best thing I can think of. I'm going to move here, or I'm going to go to this job, or I'm going to get into this relationship. And that's always a mistake to move without God's leading, not Elijah, look at verse eight. He waited at Kareth until the word of the Lord came to him again. Verse eight, he waited there. You know, I told you last time about my own Kareth experience when I was pastoring a small church in West Texas, a county seat town. And, you know, overall, those seven years were great and God taught me so many things. But those first two years, I was trying to do everything I could to get out of that place. And I'll never forget a mentor of mine said to me, he asked a question. He said, Robert, do you think God led you to this place? I said, well, sure, he led me to this place. And I recounted the miraculous circumstances that led me here. And then he said, the same God who led you here will lead you away from here in his time. At another time in my life, another mentor said to me, sometimes it takes more faith to stay in a place than to leave a place. Isn't that true? Sometimes it takes more faith to stay in a marriage, to stay at a job. Elijah understood that. He waited in that testing place, Kareth, until the word of the Lord came to him. And eventually it did. Look at verse 9. And then the command came to Elijah, verse 9, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. That was the second waiting place for Elijah, where the training and testing and refining would be even more intense. Now listen to me, if Kareth was the place of testing for Elijah, Zarephath represented the place of refining of Elijah's faith, the place of refining. Now, Zarephath, you have to understand geographically, was about 100 miles uh, from where he had been at Kareth. And to travel to Zarephath took faith itself because Elijah was a marked man by this time. Jezebel hated him. She had put a price on his head. Traveling was very dangerous. But Elijah didn't allow any of that to deter him from doing what God had called him to do. So he picks up from Kareth and he goes to Zarephath. Now Zarephath was eight miles south of Sidon. Sidon was the birthplace of Queen Jezebel. And Zarephath was known for one thing. It was the place where the idols for the worship of Baal were manufactured. Anytime you wanted to make an idol or any um, piece of jewelry, there was always a process for doing that. You would take the metal or the gold, you would heat it up until it became in a molten state. And once it was in a liquid state, 
the impurities of that metal or of that gold would rise to the surface and it would be skimmed off the top so that the molten gold or metal could be poured pure into the mold and make whatever object was being crafted. And that's what Zarephath literally means in Hebrew. It means to smelt or to melt. It refers to the refining process. In fact, the noun form of Zarephath means the crucible. And that's what Zarephath became for Elijah. It was a place where his faith would be tested. It would be heated. It would get hot so that the impurities of his life could be removed. Did you know that's what God does in your life and my life? 1 Peter 1.7 talks about our faith being tested by fire, refined by fire. Why does God send hard things into your life? It's not because he hates you. It's because he's molding you to become like his son. And one way he molds you and me into the image of his son is to heat up our lives, to make things really hot, to make things difficult, because in those difficulties, the impurities of our life become evident and hopefully can become removed so that we can become what God wants us to be. That's what it was for Zarephath. Zarephath became a place of refining of Elijah's faith. What is it that God wanted to refine in Elijah and you and me as well? First of all, Zarephath refines our humility. Look at verse nine. Arise and go to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. (laughs) Now think of the humility that required. Here's this great prophet of God. And God says, Elijah, I want you to go to a widow and depend upon her for your daily sustenance. Now, in the economic world, in Israel's time, widows were on the bottom rung of the economic ladder. There was no social security back then. Widows were on their own, and that meant they had very few resources. So that was humiliating enough to go place yourself as a dependent to a widow. But notice this widow wasn't any widow. She was a Gentile widow. She wasn't even a Jew. And Gentiles, they were at the bottom rung of the social level in Israel. They were thought to be dogs, scum, because they weren't a part of God's chosen people. Now, if you think I'm making too much out of the fact that this widow was a Gentile, notice what Jesus said about this. He made the same point uh, 800 years later in Luke 4, verses 25 and 26. He, he said, I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months when a great famine came over all the land and yet Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Now, Jesus' point in citing this instance was to say to the people in his day, God's plan has always been to incorporate Gentiles as recipients of his blessing. That was the theological reason he went to a Gentile widow. But for Elijah's purpose, God sent him there to refine his humility, to make him dependent upon a Gentile widow. Don't be surprised if at your Zarephath, God makes you go through some humbling experiences. If you're going to be an extraordinary person, God has to refine our humility. Secondly, God uses Zarephath to refine our contentment. 
Look at verses 10 and 11. So he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please give me a little water in a jar that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, oh, and by the way, (laughs) please bring a piece of bread in your hand. Now, providing the water to Elijah was no problem for the widow. There was water. Okay, I can give you water, but food, that's a big deal. Because there was a famine in the land because of the drought. And because of that, there was very little food available. She said, Elijah, I can't do that. Look at verse 12. As the Lord God, your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. You know what she's saying? She's saying, Elijah, because of this God, Jehovah, you serve. There's a famine in the land. And because there's a famine in the land, I only have a little bit of flour left and oil to make bread with. So we're going to go make a meal. My son and I are going to eat it, and then we're going to die. That's pretty bleak, isn't it? Look at verses 13 and 14. You would think Elijah would say, oh, well, I'm sorry. I would never ask you to give me bread under those circumstances. Look at verse 13. Then Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me and afterward, underline that, afterward you make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. Have you ever said to God, God, if you will just meet my need, then I will obey you. Have you ever noticed how God says, no, you go first. (laughs) You go first. You obey me and then I'll provide for your need. That's what Elijah was saying on behalf of the Lord. He said to the widow, you do what God has commanded. Give me something to eat and then afterwards... I'll not only provide your meal for today, but I will give you enough flour and oil every day with an inexhaustible supply that you will be able to eat every day until this drought ends. What did she do? Look at verse 15. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household ate for many days. And the bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. There's much more wisdom we need to discover through the prophet Elijah. And I'm hoping that you'll come our way again tomorrow for the next edition of Pathway to Victory. Although you're listening to the radio ministry of Pathway to Victory, we've developed a wide variety of resources designed to strengthen your walk with God, even after this 30-minute program is over. For example, I've written a book called Choosing the Extraordinary Life, God's Seven Secrets for Success and Significance. And my book goes into far greater detail about what we talked about today than we've had time to discuss. A hardbound copy of my book, Choosing the Extraordinary Life, is yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. 
It also comes with a life application guide filled with questions for each chapter, so you can study more on your own or work through these topics with your small group Bible study. As we close out this program, I'd like to affirm your partnership with this daily Bible teaching ministry. Perhaps you have no idea how much we value your generous gifts. In the last few years, Pathway to Victory has experienced unprecedented growth all across America and around the world. And it's because of people like you who share our passion for piercing the darkness with the light of God's Word. So, thanks for doing your part so that more and more people begin to discover their sweet spot and make an impact in our culture for the glory of God. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, we'll say thanks by sending you a copy of the best-selling book, Choosing the Extraordinary Life, along with the companion Life Application Guide. Call 866-999-2965, or it's even easier to go online at ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, we'll also send you the entire teaching series for Choosing the Extraordinary Life on CD and DVD. Now, you can listen to the messages in your car on your way to work or watch them with your small group Bible study. To request the CD and DVD set along with the book, simply call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. You can also send your donation by mail. Write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Inviting you back Wednesday when Dr. Jeffress continues this message called Waiting Time Isn't Wasted Time, right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.